5: folks today is friday july 2nd 2021 coming up on roland martin unfiltered shikari richardson who was expected to compete for the gold medal in the tokyo olympics Representing the United States has tested positive for marijuana. She will not be able to run the 100. Is it unfair that she got a 30-day suspended sentence. Lots of conversation, folks, about this. We're going to talk about this uh, on today's show. Also on today's show, we continue uh, the battle when it comes to voting in this country. Uh, The latest is uh, what will now happen? Will Democrats get even more aggressive in combating Republican voter suppression? Also, uh, in uh kentucky uh former state senator charles booker said he is going to be running against uh, senator rand paul in next year's election we will talk to him uh, on today's show also in our education matter segment we'll talk with Darrell Bradford, who is the new president of 50 can the ed reform group folks lots to discuss on today's show it's time to bring the funk i'm roland martin unfiltered let's
6: go
1: Right on time, and it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics.
5: All right, folks, uh, let's get right to it. Our top story is Shikari Richardson, uh, the track phenom out of LSU, who hails from Dallas, Texas, was expected to compete uh, for the gold medal for the United States in the Tokyo Olympics uh, in the 100 meters. But uh, she, before the US Olympic trial, she tested positive for marijuana. The decision came down was announced today. She got a 30-day uh, ban as a result. Here's the problem. Uh, the heats for the 100 meters uh, actually begins within that window. She will not be able to run the 100 at the Olympics. A lot of folks have been talking about this all day. Some calling this grossly unfair, mm-hmm. saying that black athletes are being targeted. Others say, the rules are the rules. She broke them. And that's the case. I want to go right to my pound uh, to talk about this here. Faraji Muhammad, a radio and television host out of Baltimore. We also have Michael Imhotep, host of the African History Network and Brittany Lee Lewis, political analyst. Okay, Brittany, uh, let's, let, let, uh, let's start with you. Is this unfair uh, that uh, Shakara Richardson will not be able to compete for 30 days because she failed a test? She went on the Today Show. uh, She admitted uh, that she did indeed uh, do this. She said she made a mistake, has to live with the consequences. Your
3: take. Yeah, so I'm glad that she's taking accountability for her actions. I think that was absolutely the first thing to do. But I do believe that the rules governing marijuana usage at the Olympics are both vague and extremely subjective, Roland. I think it's pretty clear that marijuana is more therapeutic than it is harmful, since we see it as medicine, and it's legalized in more than 30 countries. Um, Not to mention, the recreational marijuana, is, although it's prohibited by the World Anti-Doping Agency, right, which which governs this overall, um, their rules do state that it can be used in competition if an athlete has an approved therapeutic use exemption. So essentially, athletes can and do use marijuana if they obtain permission in advance. So, yes, Sarkari should have taken the appropriate channels to get cleared to smoke. But let's be clear, it's not steroids. And it's not a performance-enhancing drug. The other reason the committee says that smoking marijuana is against the rules is because it's a violation of the spirit of the sport. And I feel like that's really a vague way of saying you need to be a role model. And I think, again, it's not their job to be role models. I think it's their ability to demonstrate their ability as an athlete when they're competing. And then, of course, lastly, can we give her some humanity? She just lost her mother. She wouldn't be banned if she was using an antidepressant. And if we think of marijuana, marijuana as a medicine that helps alleviate depression and anxiety, we should really let that girl run. The rules are subjective
5: outdated and unfair uh but for the rules are not subjective the reality is this here every athlete knows the rules they are given a list of banned substances that they cannot use they are tested they know they are tested anybody who also knows that when you're the run-up to the u.s olympic trials you're going to be tested and so the bottom line is she knew the rules she broke them
7: Absolutely, Brother Roland. I mean, she knew the rules. She did break them. And it's unfortunate that she broke them because I was rooting for Shikari as well. But I think that we we have to, I mean, this is a slippery slope because we know, I mean, whether you're talking about track and field or any other sport, marijuana, and I hear what my sister is saying, that it's kind of subjective. It's going to be used for therapeutic. But at the end of the day, athletes cannot use marijuana a day or two or a couple of days before they're about to, to go and compete. It's just not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. I think that Shikari did an excellent thing. She took ownership. She made herself accountable, but I don't think we should get into this part of trying to apologize and breaking rules because it goes down a slippery slope. If we say, okay, we can use, she can use it. Is it because of the emotional attachment? Is it because of the fact that yes, I agree with you. Athletes shouldn't be seen as role models, but guess what? They are role models and they can't run away from it. OK, so th- we know that they don't get paid the big bucks. LeBron James and Michael Jordan. I mean, when you go down the litany of athletes, male or female, people love role models. So this, the, you know, it, at this point, it was a bad choice, a bad decision. Unfortunately, it cost her a, a lot. But I hope and pray that she re- she's able to learn from the situation and kind of get back into the game.
5: As I said, she went on the Today show where she right. uh talked about exactly what happened. Here's what she said.
8: I wanna take responsibility for my actions. I know what I did, I know what I'm supposed to do. Um no I'm not I'm I'm allowed not to do. And I still made that decision, but um not making an excuse or looking for any empathy in my case, but just however being in that position of my life Finding out something like that, something that I would say is probably one of the biggest things that have impacted me positively and negatively in my life when it comes to dealing with the relationship I have with my mother. So that definitely was a very heavy topic on me, and people don't understand what it's like to have to. Or people do. We all have our different struggles. We all have our different things we deal with. But to put on a face, to have to go in front of the world and put on a face and hide my pain. Um, like, who, I don't know, who are you or who am I to tell you how to cope when you're dealing with a pain or you're dealing with a struggle that you've never experienced before or that you've never you would have to do it like who am i to tell you how to cope who am i to tell you that you're wrong for hurting so i think just honestly just leading up to that dealing with my mental health dealing with my, with my mental as is with leading up to the games um every time I'm stepping on the track definitely expect it to be um A record-breaking time or something like that. So just with that um, pressure in itself was also just another thing. With this actually been my first full professional career, my first full professional um, circuit this year due to you know the pandemic. So just considering all of that, all of that put together in a long time with my agent, my sponsor, my my sponsorship, my family uh, knowing we did all of this stuff.
5: All right, so here's what happened. So uh, she, had, she had discovered from a reporter that her biological mother had passed away. Right. Uh, so, so what her folks were saying is that then uh, you know, for her to cope,
6: then she actually
5: took marijuana. Michael, obviously anybody uh, can empathize with, uh, with that devastating news. Right. But it's also a reality. Mm-hmm. You've been running track your whole life you've been running track in high school, you ran track at LSU. You now are a world-class sprinter for your entire track life. Marijuana has been banned, right? It's on the ban list. This is not. And also it's the rules of your sport. If this Mm -hmm. NFL, where if you fail a drug test, you go into their program, you continue playing. They have a protocol established. The NBA has a protocol established. I understand that this is sports. I understand about healing. We've got people on talking about the therapeutic benefits of it, but the reality is the sport in which you are in that's simply not allowed. I, be, I equate this and I say this to my nieces and nephews, to other people as well. Marijuana is legal in Washington state, Oregon, California, DC. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It's not legal in America. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not, marijuana is not uh, uh, legalized in this country right employers out here can require you to take a drug test and if you fail the drug test you can't get the job now i i feel people who say man this makes no sense it's a natural plant but if everybody knows the rules and you broke the rules you suffer the consequences of the rules
0: yeah you know roland this is uh um this is tragic. And I, I, I've researched this as well. So, uh, he, he, here's my take on this. Uh, number one, she knew the rules up front Two, there are extenuating circumstances with this. Now I, I want people to understand she could have faced a three month suspension because that's the based upon the rules of the U S uh, anti-doping, uh, agency. yeah, could have been three she, months, which she means
5: she's completely out of the Olympics. She right. still has an opportunity to be put on the four by 100 relay team, But she's going to miss the 100 meters, which is where where she was favored to win the gold medal.
0: So basically, uh, athletes who test positive for a substance of abuse, which THC was newly classified as in 2021, usually receive a three-month suspension if they can establish that their use of the substance occurred out of competition and was unrelated to the sport performance. Now, she entered into a uh, counseling program, so she she is only getting a one-month suspension. Compare that to Michael Phelps in two thousand nine. He got a three month suspension. I know people want to heroically Compare this to Michael Phelps. Those are two different situations. But, but, but also, but also,
5: but also, but also for everybody who's watching, right? It ain't apples to apples. Right. Michael Phelps. A photo was shown. Right. That's on Michael Phelps with a bomb, That's what. Which was six months after, after the Olympics, after the two thousand so Olympics. He never right. right. tested positive. Say. Right. So I, I've already positive. seen that. All oh, know Michael was, Phelps, the white that boy. Was, they they let the white boy. Well, this is what
0: this is what happens when people recycle bs memes that they didn't go research before they retweeted them and reposted them this is what happens when you do this because if you had done a five-minute google search you would have realized that michael phelps lost sponsorship from kellogg he lost uh, the, the olympics withdrew financial support from him and his suspension was three times as long as shikari richardson now to, to make a long story short based upon the circumstances here she's admitted she didn't say oh uh, they lied she she accepted responsibility and she entered into a counselor program based upon the circumstances in this specific case i think they should do the humane thing and 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 let her compete in the uh, 100 meters based upon the circumstances and she entered into a counselor program also
7: but 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 well, here's, the deal. Well,
5: here's the deal you say do you say do the humane thing okay but there are other athletes sure and and so and and, and again Look, I'm from Texas. Right. I would love to see the homegirl from Texas run. Right. right. And we all want to have empathy. We want to have compassion, uh, right. Brittany. But look, there, there's another. There's another uh, sister. I'm going to pull up in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, another sister who had gotten suspended. She had, she had gotten suspended, and what happened was she uh, was she was a, a hurdler, mm-hmm. um, and her name was um, Brianna McNeil. She got a five year ban. Mm-hmm. Because she missed her drug test. Now she says, she says she missed. She had an abortion, and she said she missed the drug test two days after her abortion. What happens with their rules, Brittany, is that your drug testing—you don't know where you're going to get drug tested, and so they call you, and it's like we're on our way. If you don't answer, if you don't answer the phone, if you don't indicate where you are uh then there's a problem and this this happened actually um more than once now she did qualify for the olympic team uh she came in second at the trials it was 100 meter uh, uh hurdles and so uh what happened was is so she she talked about it in terms of what happened uh she said why she missed it and there are, it's called an at-home appointment an at-home appointment so this is this. According to this story, McNeil said that the anti-doping ban derived from her missing an at home appointment with officials in January 2020. She says she was at home recovering from an abortion that she had two days prior to the appointment and that when officials arrived at her home, she didn't hear anyone. And then according to this story, she was she was banned because there were many inaccuracies found in documents that were meant to prove she had an abortion. She called it an ex, uh, she, called, she called it uh, that uh, it was a miscommunication. But, Brittany, there are other athletes who missed their at home appointment for drug testing and they've been suspended. And so they make it clear to everybody. These are the rules. You're going to get drug tested a lot. So. What you know, what do we do, whether it's Shikari whether it's this sister who said, well, I missed my at home I was had an abortion I was at home but I didn't hear them knock it
3: yeah, I mean, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. It, it's it's tough, Roland, because on one hand, sure. I want to say the rules are the rules. You know what they were in advance. Stick to them, right? But I want to point out that rules are made by people, right? And and we need to think about the reason behind those rules. And if those rules always make sense, and if those rules are actually fair, you know, at one point, I believe it was 2011, both CBD and THC were banned. And I believe that change was made more recently, where now it's just uh, THC that's banned, the, the, the substance that was in Shikari's blood. So. You know, I, I think it's tough. And again, I, I mean, based on the, the research that I did find, and someone correct me if they saw something else. You know, they they have not definitively said that marijuana, you know, is a performance enhancing drug. And if it is no, no, not, no,
5: no, 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 it's not. That it's a performance enhancing drug. It is on the list of banned substances. substances. from the anti-doping agency.
3: Yes, exactly. But Roland, answer me this question because I hear you. But knowing that, so tell me why it's banned. Why is it banned?
5: It's their rules. It's their rules. But that's what I'm saying. Here's the deal. Every track and field athlete has to abide by it. It's a bunch of black people who made the Olympic team who didn't smoke weed. And if they do smoke weed, they didn't smoke it before the Olympic trials and they didn't
3: test positive. I I hear you, but I just what I'm saying is I think that we're seeing a reevaluation not only in the United States. I mean, we just saw uh, Supreme Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas talk about how he even he is talking about how we need to reevaluate the United States on a federal level. We're seeing changes globally, and I hope that I agree. And I hope that the Olympics. I mean, if nothing else, you know, whether Shakari runs or not, I think obviously she's not going to at least for her own 100. But I do think that this is high time for us to reevaluate why that is a rule. Why is that a rule? I get it. It's a rule. It's a rule across the board, but it's time for us to reevaluate.
5: Right, the, 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 see, see, Faraji. the thing for me that really jumps out here is, yeah. uh, and I look, uh, uh, uh Benjamin Dixon, I'm, I'm gonna pull up Benjamin's tweet. And I think Benjamin is like wrong as hell, uh, <laughs> on this one. I, I'm, Benjamin's on the show. Uh, I like Benjamin. This is the tweet, uh, that Benjamin, uh, sent out right here. He said black athletes." should just boycott Team America since Team America has such an issue with black athletes. No, I'm sorry, Ben. A whole bunch of black athletes made the team who didn't smoke weed, who didn't test positive, who didn't miss their appointments. I'm sorry. I don't see this as an attack on black athletes because one star messed up.
7: I just don't. But rule, I'm I'm I, I agree with you 100. But let's let's look at what Brittany you you pointed out. Rules are made by people. That's everything. I mean, we we live in a society where rules are made by people. I mean, yeah, I mean, hell, people. I I own a company. I make rules. Your you ass gotta
5: rules. show. Your ass gotta show up at work at 11 a.m. If you walk your ass in here consistently at one o'clock, your ass ain't gonna have a job with me. <laughs>
7: I mean, but that's what I'm saying. The rules are made. Now, here's the other thing. THC, we know what's on the list, but it's more importantly, it's also a drug. No, it doesn't enhance. It doesn't make you jump faster and all of those things. It slows you down. As an athlete, your speed is everything. Whether you're talking about football, baseball, basketball, track and field soccer, your speed, your awareness is everything. I mean, there is a reason for this. Now, I think that the the, the larger conversation about all of this, we have to ask this question. Is this the example? If we're talking about push for Shikari, push for Shikari, what is the example that we want to set for black girls in track and field? What is the example? What do you say to a black girl, to a young black girl? Shikari is 21 years old she is as roland laid out from high school to college and the whole nine she has been in this whole field she's 21 years old she still has a lot of maturity and a lot of growing to do but for those who are looking at her and they the black girls that see themselves in shikari richardson what should we say see we we're we, we talking about the now we have to look at the future Because we should not be in a space to advocate for Shikari now, because then that opens the door for us to advocate for what? The next black girl later? No. These are black athletes. If you're an athlete, you take care of your body. They often say your body is your temple. And if that's the if that's the message that we want to get across to young black girls and black boys in any field of sport, then we should look at this and then use this as a teachable moment to help them to see that if you break the rules, if you, if you decide not to do what's, what's required of you to do, you're going to suffer the consequences. I, 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 just, I just think here,
5: Michael, and, and we're going to talk about another story sure. that has an impact that, that deals with black people in the Olympics, which I think the Olympics, they are dead wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is what, again, that I, I would say this to again, my staff, I would say it to my frat brothers. I would say it to my church members. I would say this to my nieces and nephews. I would say this to other family members. I hear you. I do believe that we have this, 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 this different system. I think it's crazy that right now you got marijuana that's a multi-billion dollar industry Mm -hmm. It's legalized in some states, but not others. I believe that you have these differing uh, approaches to it. You've got some prosecutors who say they're not going to prosecute uh, uh, minor marijuana arrest. Um, There are people who say you shouldn't be drug testing or causing people to lose jobs or not get jobs because of, of marijuana. But here's what I know and understand it ain't the law right now. Mm. I think that you can Mm. fight to change it. I think that you can fight to to change with the Olympics. Football players fought for the NFL to alter their rules when it came to marijuana, and they did. The Mm. NBA players, they fought to change the rules to alter it, and they did. And so it's a different approach there. But what we're dealing with here is that all at all track and field athletes across the world. And I think this is the most important thing that our people watching and I and I've been seeing all every kind of comment. Right. Athletes across the world are giving the same list. Mm-hmm. Now, we know they're cheaters. We know the Olympics banned uh the Russian team cuz all of them were doping. We know back in the 80s and 90s the Easter Russian uh, hell, they they that we ain't gonna talk about how they were doping. We could go on and on and on. And we also know the number of American athletes who have been busted for doping and performance-enhancing drugs. This boils down to here: how you cope with grief mm-hmm. is something that we have to deal with. But you were preparing for four years for this moment. The Olympics is every four years. You you made the team. You perform well. But part of performing is also the drug test. They all go together. Right. You can't say, well, hey, she could have win the goal. We all let her run because every other athlete who went to the US Olympic trial had to pee in that cup every mm-hmm. single one. Come
0: on. right yeah you know um I, I think this whole thing is a little complicated i went and read the rules um and there is an appeals process here one she accepted responsibility it's not like she's saying oh they're lying on me they're setting me up she's accepting responsibility she told what happened uh two she entered into a counseling program as well um in the appeals process you know i based upon the circumstances her mother died her biological mother died and you know she's dealing with a lot now if it had been a situation where she had tested positive for marijuana previously before other races and everything i read this is the first time she's tested positive well then i would say no but in, in in the appeals process you know i i really hope they um have Take all this into account and 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 let her compete based upon these circumstances. But I do understand the rules. I do understand the rules, and I also understand you know, peep they have an appeals process for a reason as well. But uh, this one here, I think, is the everything involved, uh, all the uh, details taken into account. I think is different than maybe some other instances that we uh, that we may see of doping or people purposely in uh, performance enhancing drugs, the Russians, things like that.
5: OK, so, let's, so now let's talk about what I what I do believe is an anti-black story <laughs> that we need to be dealing with right here. Right. Uh, so check this out. Swimming caps. Uh, where did it go? Where's the story? Swimming caps for natural black hair ruled out of Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. International Swimming Federation rejects the use of sole cap, saying it does not fit the natural form of the head. Uh, that right there, um, Faraji. Uh, meaning, meaning, if your ass was a swimmer, uh, <laughs> you, Faraji, could not, could not put on a soul cap uh, with that with that look you got right now, uh, folks. Uh, soul cap. I'm going to show you right now. So, soul cap. Uh, they are a company out of the UK. Uh, this is what it looks like. They're a company out. Let's, let's go full screen, please. They're a company out of the UK uh, and. Uh, they make swimwear and caps for all hair types. Uh, I'm just going to show you. And so this is the tweet that they sent out. Um, uh, they say, with the power of people, changing the water is possible for the first time in history. Uh, the incredible Alex Deering will represent Team GB. That's Great Britain. Uh, and, but they here say thank you to all the swimmers who have given their thoughts and experiences when it comes to the barriers to swimming. It's time for a change. Hashtag uh, swim for all. Uh, and, and, and and so uh, and then here's another tweet, June 30th, a huge thanks to all who have supported us and our work so far. We don't see this as a setback, but a chance to open up a dialogue to make a bigger difference in aquatics. Michael and Tops. Not uh, not this yeah. is bullshit. This right <laughs> here, because these black, first of all, everybody watching now realize, yeah, black folks, we swimming. Right. So what's happened is this has always been a white sport. Uh, We ran the video I think last week of Cullen of Cullen Jones of Cullen Jones, uh, who won uh, medals for the United States. You're now seeing more black swimmers. Well, black folks who wear their hair like yours, Viraji, they they ain't wearing them no more swim caps. Now this is nonsense.
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Here's what I want to bring our attention to because the uh, sister Danielle Obi who serves as the founding member of the Black Swimming Association, she made a very, very important point. It has generally been that Speedo has been the producer of the swimming caps. She made the point saying, Speedo caps don't fit our head. And I, and I can't make this up, and I love the quote. She says, black hair grows up and defies gravity. <laughs> <laughs> I want everybody to think about this. It grows up and defies gravity. So that means that thing is coming out. It's just going all types of ways, right? So with that, I think, and I'm with you on this, Brother Roland, like at the end of the day, and we're starting to see in this particular Olympics, there seems to be more, what some might say, microaggressions. There seems to be more slight on Black culture, Black expression. We're talking about soul cash right now. We got to talk about the situation where a couple of months ago, Black Lives Matter apparel was banned at the Summer Olympics. We got to talk about uh, Gwendolyn Barry and how they played the star Black Spangled Banner and how that situation turned out. I mean, we're seeing that there is and I get what the Olympus is trying to do through the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, saying that, look, we're trying to preserve the spirit of the sport in the case of oneness and not make people distinct. But guess what? That's not reality. Black swimmers, the hair, the way the body is shaped is different for each person. And that is insane to try to put everybody in this cap, but claim, you know, that this thing is going to be inclusive. When in in reality, it's exclusive. It does not allow athletes to be themselves. It does not allow uh, this this platform to allow athletes to express themselves. So this this is complete BS.
5: So here's what's going on here, Michael. And let's just be clear. There has been whiteness has Hmm. defined the world right whiteness mm-hmm. yes. you've had sports like swimming that have been defined by whiteness right now listen you had white folks with their hair and let's be real clear you've had some other swimmers you had some folks from Italy yeah you know Hannibal went over there and de- de- him and them 20,000 Africans did a whole lot of damage over there uh, you got some other yeah. folks but 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 the, but the reality is because you're now seeing more black people uh, also reject European hair standards Saying, no, hell no, I want to wear my hair natural. They are going to have to accommodate that. And that, and I'm telling you right now, this to me is this this is where a lawsuit should be filed. This is this is why the Crown Act is being passed in America and outlaws hair discrimination. This ruling here is hair discrimination.
9: Hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely is, man. You mentioned Hannibal Barker. I think you referring to the Battle of Cannae, two sixteen BC. But that's a no. That's I'm I'm
5: referring of... to them twenty thousand Africans who <laughs> went over there in Italy and caused some damage. That's why you got a whole bunch of Italians got right. sick of sale, uh, because uh, they're back.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The Moors were in Italy also. The Moors were in Italy. But when you when you look at this, man, it, it's something very interesting that that they said here. The FINA they said that this the soul cap. Does not follow the natural form of the head. What? Right. Do you, what?
5: What? What are you call yeah. the natural yeah. form? No, no, no. white <laughs> people's heads. No, no, that's no. my point. Yeah, First but, of but, all, but, go ahead and say it. See, this is the problem. They don't need to, to say it, no,
0: no, they no, should say it people. doesn't.
5: They should say it doesn't follow white people's
0: head. But see, they need to holler. this. wait a second. What do you mean it does not follow the natural form of the head? What are you calling natural? Okay, white? The, 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 the white, white, white people are minority <laughs> in the world. White? This is the yeah. Olympics. People come from all over the world to compete. White people are the minority in the world. So what do you right. call it? The natural form of the head. They need to be lit up on this. And this is designed to, I think, discriminate against African Americans. Because we, we see they're kicking butt in tennis. We see, okay, we see the are kicking butt in tennis, right? We know that once we come into certain sports, we start taking over. We know black people used to, do, black men used to dominate horse racing and there was a concerted effort to force us out.
5: We were winning the Kentucky Derbies. We were winning the man, pre- We got black people in the hammer throw, the shot put. You got <laughs> on, black folks in the high jump, on, the You got come black, on. man, look, look. first of all, <laughs> there's one white boy on Team USA basketball team, Kevin right. Love, and he don't need to be on. That should be an all-black team. Now, I, look, they, what they're really saying is, damn, now y'all asses <laughs> Now, y'all swimming,
0: right? Right, so we used to be
7: afraid of the water, right? We no, used we, to be afraid of the water. Now, yeah, we all in it.
0: Well, you know, we were we were <laughs> swimming before you had, um, as long as it was white boys and, and, and African American boys swimming, that we were swimming, it was all right when it started becoming co ed and interracial. Yeah. Now, you start having a problem when you go research the history of that, then you start having a problem when it was white girls swimming with white black boys now you got a problem on your hands but um yeah brother this should be highlighted man this is discrimination right here they're they're really trying to i think target us and keep us from uh winning these golds and and swimming also
5: this right here Brittany there should be a race discrimination lawsuit filed against the swimming federation for this ruling and and see all these black civil rights groups Mm-hmm. Y'all should be calling out all these Olympic sponsors. Come on. Yeah. See NBC is giving the IOC billions of dollars. We should be saying sponsors speak up. All these major corporations giving the Olympic Committee money. We See this is how you take your power and you leverage it by saying don't be silent corporations. This right here is hair discrimination. Brittany.
3: Yep. No, I, I completely agree with everything that people have said. And I think um, someone mentioned it earlier. You know, anti-Blackness is a global phenomenon. It, ju- it just isn't in the United States. It's everywhere, everywhere. And we know that this decision is part of just a longer history of discriminations against Black people, but specifically Black hair. Um, and I know you mentioned earlier role in the Crown Act. And we you know just, just eight years ago, the number one complaint filed by Black women in the United States with the EEOC was discrimination based on hair. So, you know, I'm not surprised that this is something that's going on at the Olympics. And I can probably guarantee you that the bulk, if not all the people that made the decision, are certainly not us. Because we know the idea that, um, you know, the the caps don't need a certain size and configuration. Elite uh, elite athletes don't need caps of this size and configuration. It's some complete racist, discriminatory BS.
1: All
5: right, folks, uh, I got to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk to uh, former Kentucky State Senator Charles Booker. He announced he is running against Rand Paul and already Senator Rand Paul has sent out a racist email. I'm gonna show it to you and char- this literally, it went out, uh, Charles sent the email, sent the tweet out 34 minutes ago. The email went out at 1 19 PM. Charles is gonna give his first response to us right here live on Roland Martin unfiltered. That's next.
3: I believe that people our age have lost the ability to focus the, the discipline on the art of organizing the challenges. There's so
2: many of them and they're complex and we need to be moving to
3: address them but I'm able to say watch out. Tickety. I know this. Road. That is so freaking dope. <laughs>
1: Hello, I'm Nina Turner.
0: My grandmother used to say, all you need in life are three bones. The wishbone to keep you dreaming, the jawbone to help you speak truth to power, and the backbone to keep you standing through it all. I'm running for Congress because you deserve a leader who will stand up fearlessly on your behalf. Together, we will deliver Medicare for all. Good jobs that pay a living wage and bold justice reform. I'm Nina Turner, and I approve this message.
1: George Floyd's death
9: hopefully put another nail in the coffin of racism. You talk about awakening America,
6: it led to a historic summer of of protest.
9: I hope our younger generation don't ever forget that nonviolence is soul force. Christoph. What's up? This is Aldis Hodge, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
3: Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Sherry Shepherd, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey, Roland.
9: That's Tim Story,
10: director of Chan. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
0: What up, y'all? This is Method Man, Mighty Mutant Clan. You're watching Uncle Roland Martin, and the show is Unfiltered. Make sure y'all tune in. Laura Ingram, you suck.
2: Here's
1: <laughs> a little something that needs <laughs> to be heard
2: no so pretty girl. Oh. So I sat beside her. Then she, went, wow. she me the Hold on, kids, been a mistake. Honey, man, great. That's us, deep. Deep. Oh. Yes. Oh. Oh. She's raging in hell. She's money making it. Call me Michelle. Michelle, my man. Some day, my dream. i it on top. on top. And that house you i And the <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is what's called Old School. Remix, are huh, y'all? Speed it up, kid. Check, 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 check. Old School, listen. These eyes are crying. I I'm sitting the We don't have a body, we just have a mess on the mic Keep it, we rock up on the mic, we have to go More y'all keeping you well yeah? So say so you're smoking Cause it's cool when your cause comes cozy condition And that we
1: create So listen
2: to what we
1: say
2: cause I'm, gonna... I'm to the 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 bathroom too much! I have some of my face in my head, the problems of my serum, and Rivera. oh, come this top of them all? There was a rumble-double, five minutes the last hit the music. you can see it.
1: Baby. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
5: Y'all better ask somebody. Uh, Ain't nobody got uh, that kind of footage except Uncle Roro. Slick Rick on stage at the Coca-Cola booth uh, on their main stage at Essence Festival. Uh, Yeah, that's how we roll, y'all. This is a live look right now of the Essence Festival, a live-loud virtual experience happening. You can go to Essence Festival. You go to Essence.com, EssenceStudios.com. Actually, check it out. But y'all don't do that until y'all finish watching Roller Mart Unfiltered. So, uh, y'all can watch the replay. But again, this is a live look right here uh, of uh, the Virtual Essence Festival happening right now. We got, we got so all weekend, we're gonna be uh, showing you uh, old concert clips, throwback footage, you name it. We're gonna be showing you, this is happening all weekend. And so the concerts uh, start, uh, the concert starts. And then of course, you're gonna have um, all weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Virtual Festival Essence. And we still so appreciate Coca-Cola partnering with us to be able to bring you these essence festival throwbacks all right y'all today uh charles booker dropped the news that he is running against Rand paul remember he ran against he ran for the democratic nomination to face um to face uh mitch, uh mitch mcconnell in 2020 amy mcgrath uh she won she got destroyed uh in the um uh in the general election uh booker came within 30,000 votes of winning Uh, that primary. Now he's taking on uh, Senator Rand Paul. This is the campaign video that Charles dropped.
9: Freedom. It's been the story of America, or so they say. Uh Because we know the truth. For so many people across Kentucky Uh and across the country, freedom hasn't been freedom for us. I come from a long line of Kentuckians. I've had ancestors who were enslaved in this Commonwealth, lynched in this Commonwealth, fought for desegregation in this Commonwealth, because we knew freedom wasn't something that was gonna just be given to us. We had to struggle for it. What we have are these politicians who have been free to exploit us.
1: Yes. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah,
9: yeah. Freedom to rob us.
1: Yeah. Freedom
9: to tell us that we don't deserve better, yeah. And all we can ever afford to have are politicians who don't care whether we live or die. Right. That's not freedom. No. Well, the people of Kentucky are my family.
1: Yeah.
9: One thing I was taught early on is that you fight for family. Yeah. We can make freedom ring true.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
9: We can make it ring for everyone. Yes, sir. We can build a future where Brianna's door isn't kicked in. Yeah. Yeah. We can make freedom mean that every community across Kentucky is thriving, Yeah. yeah. with a good paying good union paying job. job. Yeah. Yeah. That we're not just working to struggle less, but that we're owning. Yeah, we're creating. Yeah, we're building pathways to wealth yeah. all over Kentucky. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're
9: gonna take this message from the hood
1: yeah. to the highest. Ah!
9: And so as we go into this day where we celebrate our independence. Let's commit to making it mean something. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not just asking that of you. I'm going to lead by example.
1: Okay. All right.
9: And it's with that understanding that we have to lead ourselves that I'm going to run for United States Senate.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 yeah.
9: Woo. Yeah. We're going to make it ring. Yeah. yeah. Because Kentucky deserves it. All right. I believe we're ready for this moment. Yes. If you're ready to prove the doubt is wrong, let me hear you say, yeah, yes. I believe we're ready to heal and grow and thrive and make sure the opportunity rings true for everybody in this commonwealth.
2: Are you with me? Are you with me? Yes.
9: Are you with me?
5: Well, Charles Booker is with us right now. I'm glad to have you uh, back on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Charles.
9: It's good to be with you again, brother. Thank you for having me.
5: All right, your opponent has already started his racial BS, uh, folks. Watch this. This email Charles posted this on his Twitter feed about 40 minutes ago. This is what Rand Paul sent out today, uh, and it said, "Dear so and so, yesterday I got an Act Blue-backed racial left opponent." for my re-election, a racial left opponent. So Charles, would he have said, I have
9: a white candidate? Well, Roland, I think you and I both know very well what he was trying to say there. I think he has something that he's feeling. He can't get past the color of my skin, and he knows that we're coming to take his seat. And so he's relying on racism, uh, as they always do. And the people of Kentucky see through it, and so do I. And we're calling it out.
5: See, see, and look, here's the deal. This is not mean, This was an actual campaign email. It says from Rand at Randpaul.com, dated today, one nineteen p.m. Um, and y'all blacked out the name, so that means that, that mean it was sent to someone. So clearly, your campaign staff is on the email list. So this literally went out from the Rand Paul campaign. So you are a racial left opponent. That's Rand Paul's way of saying white folks in Kentucky, I got a Negro running against me.
9: That's exactly right. And, and you know, the, the sad part about it is that's all we're hearing from Rand Paul. Um, every time he talks about me, he's, he's talking about uh, defund the police and, and reparations that Roland, you gotta ask yourself, why is he talking about defunding the police when he's not talking about investing in community safety? He's trying to distract from the fact that he's failed Kentuckians, He doesn't care whether we live or die. All he wants to do is chase conspiracy theories because he's a clown. And we're standing now, and I lost this Senate race because I believe in the people of Kentucky. Now, I come from the western of Louisville, uh, one of the most segregated cities in the country. The issues I've seen growing up as a young black man are not limited to my community. We have common bonds across Kentucky. And if we stand together, we can win together. And we're ready to stand right now and show that we're gonna get him out of office
5: you ran against amy mcgrath for the democratic nomination to face uh senator mitch mcconnell she raised a ton of money she was the democratic darling they said oh she was center right she talked in the campaign about how she can work with republicans uh you lost to her about thirty thousand votes and she got her ass whooped in the general election what did you learn in that campaign how are you going to craft a strategy Uh, if you get the Democratic nomination, how are you going to beat Rand Paul
9: in the general election? Well, I will win the Democratic nomination and we will beat Rand Paul. In fact, we're going to blow him out. Um, the, The thing that was affirmed for me in the last cycle is what I always knew to be true. You cannot ignore the people. It doesn't matter how much money you have if you don't have a vision. If you can't inspire people to believe things can be different, there's a lot of cynicism that's very real in our politics because all we've had Are these corrupt politicians who are playing and laughing to the bank while we suffer with poverty or ration our insulin? And there's a reason that people have given up in a lot of respects. And and I'm trying to lead by example to say that if we lean into organizing, if we lift up our common bonds, if we actually listen to folks in in urban and rural areas alike, black, white and brown, if you listen to folks, you'll hear that they want a vision where everyone has health care, where people have clean water and clean air and good paying union jobs. You'll hear that. We don't listen to the people. And so I'm building this campaign focused on Kentuckians first, and we're leveraging the resources that it'll take to do the organizing to win. And I'm proud of that. Look, in the first 24 hours, we have received contributions from nearly all 120 counties. We've raised over a million dollars towards this primary, and we're seeing the majority of our support coming from Kentucky. And it's not partisan because these issues aren't partisan. And I'm excited. We're going to make history.
5: I said this uh, on yesterday's show. I was talking with Matthew uh, Dowd. We were talking about uh, what Democrats should be doing. And um, I've had this conversation with uh, Reverend Dr. William J. Bartle with the Poor People's Campaign, how they have been mobilizing, organizing and how they have been very clear, speaking to white people and saying white and saying poor white people uh, and not using euphemisms. Oh, the the working class and things along those lines. And so how are you going to go to those broke white folks in Kentucky? And we're talking about some broke people. These are the people who elected a Republican governor, but they were yelling, man, I don't want to lose my Affordable Care Act, but I hate the Obamacare. These are the people who uh, were yelling Trump, 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 but then they were sitting, sitting getting cut. Then you had coal miners who Mitch McConnell would not meet with. He was, he was completely ignoring them. And so, how, I, you know, are you going to be that in, in your face by going to white con- folks in Kentucky by saying, hey, folks, I know I'm black, y'all white. But guess what? In your county, y'all some of the sickest people in the state. These people are trying to stop Medicare expansion. These laws are being passed for you. How are you going to get them to break from pulling that Republican lever and voting against their own interests to support you?
9: Roland, you actually just laid it out. You know, one thing that's true and all in right, politics, I'll
5: come to, I'll come to Kentucky yeah.
9: and, and, uh, and 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 talk to the white folks for you. I'm sorry, go, you ahead, just, go ahead. You just laid the strategy out. Look in, in Kentucky in our politics, we have I um and who they expect us to vote Democrats, so or they don't come to us either until it's time for us to vote. When you go actually sit down with folks, and I'm telling you, I went to areas where they were all Trump supporters, uh, 90 plus percent white and I would tell them my story, then I'd listen to them. And it would never fail, never fail. We'd see how much we have in common. But it goes to your point, we gotta tell the truth. When you go talk to those miners in Eastern Kentucky, they know those jobs are gone. They know they're not coming back. When you talk to those small farmers that are suffering with poverty too, they know they need healthcare. They know they need more money in their pocket. We need to talk about the real issues and not be afraid to tell the truth. And and this email that Rand Paul sent out today saying that I'm a racial left candidate, we, we know what he's saying. Look, Republicans will weaponize hate and racism. And in a lot of ways, Democrats have tried to run away from it. We have to go to it and call it out and disarm it with love and unity and the power of coming together. This is not new. And if we lead now, we will win now. And we absolutely will do that.
5: Got questions from my panel. Brittany, you're first for Charles Booker.
3: Congratulations, I pray that you get elected. Uh, but with that being said, what would you say is your is your number one priority going forward? I know that you're um, you know, you have type one diabetes, so can we expect you to take on big pharma? Um, what's 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 the main issue that's motivating you?
9: Absolutely. You know, my, my overarching platform is ending poverty, which truthfully means we have to pull up the roots of racism. And so that's why I lift up Medicare for all. That's why I lift up Universal Basic Income. I've said we not only need a Green New Deal in Kentucky, we need a Kentucky New Deal. We need to own it. And I also lift up reparations because we have to get to the core of why inequity is structural. And so that's what you'll see out of me in the United States Senate. The Senate is blocking all of our progress as a country right now. It's clear. And we need leaders that are going to fight for us because they see us. Rand Paul's an eye doctor, at least he calls himself that. But he cannot see the people of Kentucky. And we're going to change that.
5: Faraji Muhammad, your question for Charles Booker.
7: Faraji, you mute. There we go, uh, Mr. Booker. real quick question: um, How do you plan to engage the next generation? And and really, you know, there is a, you, you talked about the level of cynicism that exists right now just across the board in politics. I mean, uh, I, I don't envy you in in wanting to run for public office. I mean, I admire the 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 spirit. But there is a lot of citizens, especially like in the state of Kentucky, with Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell and everything. So, how do you really plan to engage black folks in a way to keep their hope, to keep our hope alive in this process? Because I feel like there are, and based upon some of the recent data, black people are walking away from political parties in general. So, this is this is a very very critical time uh, to keep uh, to get folks to, to 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 believe in this system. How do you plan to? to make that
9: happen. You know, a lot of my, my plan and my vision for this race really comes from growing up in the hood and there is so much power in us talking to one another in us connecting with one another and us building our capacity. And so while I'm running myself, I want to use my resources in this campaign to train more folks to not only be on campaigns, but to run for office themselves. I've talked to some of my own family who hadn't voted in a long time. And they told me, well, I would vote, but what difference does it make? Part of what I'm trying to do now is lead by example to say that we have so much power that we are not seizing, especially in the United States Senate, because we have these folks that are disconnected from us making every decision about our lives, but we're not in the room. And when I was elected in 2018 to the state house, I became the youngest black state legislator in Kentucky since the first one. I'm talking to a lot of folks in my community that have never seen someone like me stand up on the biggest stages and talk to folks like you all and speak the truth. That's contagious. And we're building a campaign that is rooted in relational organizing. We're building capacity for folks so that they can lead themselves, become citizen lobbyists. We do this work. We will do so much more than win one race. We're going to transform our future.
5: Uh, One of the things that we we talk about the issues you mentioned, um, you know, in those rural parts of Kentucky, uh, obviously, health care is going to be a big issue. You are running against someone who is a doctor who claims that he is such an expert uh, on these things. Um, But one of the things that we, we talk about Medicare expansion, we talk about, you know, these health issues. We keep seeing it in these red states, how they keep fighting it. And I'm sitting there going to all again to these broke white people. I'm like, what are you doing? You are sick. These things help you. Uh, Reverend Barber told, told a story when they were years ago, when they were campaigning against uh, for the issue, when they were campaigning against the closing of rural hospitals, they were at some parade and he said some redneck walked up to him with a Confederate flag around his neck, uh, tears in his eyes saying, thank you for fight. Thank you for fighting for our hospitals. I, I, I just think that this is one, this is just one of those moments where, where we've got to put it all on the table. And, and I use this phrase all the time, hey, black folks, a lot of black folks broke, a lot of white folks broke. When you broke, you broke, uh, as, doc, as, as, as uh, Dr. Barber said, he said, when your lights get cut off, we all black. That's
9: right. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, one of the things that I believe is really important. And this message I lift up from the hood to the holler, you know, talking about our common bonds is is speaking that truth and really helping folks to understand what's happening. Now, in addition to if you look at every metric that would determine a good quality of life, Kentucky's at the bottom and damn near all of Kentucky has also been one of the most disenfranchised states. And so you're dealing with a whole population of folks that have been robbed of the ability to know what's happening and to know how to change it. And, and when we show up and speak that truth, I'm telling you, it doesn't take long for folks to realize, oh, I'm rationing my insulin and I don't have to do that because these big pharmaceutical companies are making money hand over fist while I die. Oh, okay, I'm working night up, sun up to sun down and I'm not getting paid good money while these coal companies are left to the bank filing bankruptcy, leaving us high and dry. We have to speak that truth. and And I'm training folks across Kentucky to talk to their neighbors, to their friends, not along partisan lines, not dealing with the the national buzzwords. I don't need you to call it a green new deal. Talk about what it means to take a shower and the water's irritating your skin because it's dirty. You know, talk about what your lived experiences are, and we can get to a common ground of building together. We're trying to rebuild community, and and I'm proud to help tell that story in Kentucky because we're going to shock the world.
5: Well, uh, I can't uh, wait to uh, next year. We're going to be on the road uh, covering these elections, and I can't wait uh to uh come to us uh, so I, i'll go i'll go ahead and do this here i'll put online i'll be happy to come uh to kentucky uh Uh-oh. do a town hall and we'll we'll Uh-oh. live we'll live stream it oh, look i i i ain't, I ain't afraid nobody broke bro, bro, broke people white black <laughs> like, i ain't afraid of nobody That's uh, right. so and, and the difference is i own my show uh so i ain't got to ask no nobody's opinion uh we ain't got that we ain't got to, we ain't got to go get permission uh to do this so uh we, we'll be happy to, to come to kentucky uh live stream of town hall moderate that thing a conversation uh with voters uh with charles booker well you know
9: i'll be there and i need everybody to go to charlesbooker.org to support me right now so we can make sure that i'm there with you
5: all right then charles booker thank you so very much uh folks running for the united states senate in 2022 uh, against uh, longtime uh, senator rand paul thank you so very much for joining us absolutely uh, all right, folks. Uh, let's go to uh, our next story, where Attorney General Merrick Garland has announced a federal moratorium on executions. Remember, we had had executions for a very long time, but those folks in the previous administration, they were rushing uh, to kill people. Uh, now Merrick Garland uh, said uh, we're going to slow that down. Here's a quote that he uh, this is what he said. He said the continued use of the death penalty raises serious concerns, including the arbitrariness in its application, disparate impact on people of color and the troubling number of exonerations in capital and other serious punishments. Uh, he is prohibiting the scheduling of federal executions until the Justice Department reviews his policies and procedures related to capital cases. Uh, among those being uh, uh, halted includes his ordered uh, the allowance of prisons to use a powerful sedative to, ex- to execute people on federal death row, which was approved by Attorney General William Barr. So for all these people, Michael, uh, who keeps saying elections don't matter, This is the difference between Trump being in charge and Biden being in charge.
0: Huge difference, Roland. And and all you have to do is look at what the what the Supreme Court ruled uh, uh, dealing with uh, the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Uh, Look at the ruling from yesterday. All you have to do is look at uh, almost 400 bills that uh, Republicans are pushing in 48 state legislatures. If 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 your vote didn't matter, why are they working to suppress your vote so hard? Okay, so, yeah, this is this is critical. And if we go back to uh, Jeff Sessions, when Jeff Sessions was um, uh, Trump's first attorney general, uh, there was a commission that President Obama put together under the Obama administration. The Department of Justice put together this commission to um, it, it was designed to make sure people were not convicted based upon junk science. It consisted of scientists, law enforcement, different things like this, because they were looking at the fact that the death penalty was used disproportionately disproportionately against African-Americans. Well, when Jeff Sessions became uh, attorney general, he disbanded that commission. And then we looked at the, we look at the last few, let me, last maybe month or two of the Trump uh, uh, era, E-R-R-O-R. We look at that. We saw him uh, starting up the federal executions again. And disproportionately, these were African-Americans being executed. So so this is an example of how elections have consequences. I'm glad Merrick Garland is doing this.
5: Uh, absolutely, uh, Brittany. Uh, and uh, this is again, I mean, this this is a major issue. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just keep telling people, y'all can sit your asses at home and not vote, but you'll get Trump. Look, there were several people who were executed mm-hmm. and they were rushing to killing people. Yes. And they were They were, I mean, they were like, oh, we were scheduling they were trying to skitter executions up until his last days and most of the mm-hmm. people were black mm-hmm.
3: A- absolutely we know innocent people are too often sentenced to death um <clears throat> i saw a statistic that said since uh or 1973 over 156 people have been released from death row in 26 states because of innocence and nationally at least one person is exonerated for every 10 that are executed and we know disproportionately it's us um you know the whole concept is applied extremely arbitrarily um, a lot of it has to do with how much money you have the skill of your attorneys the race of the victim where the where the crime took place um, and we know unfortunately people of color are far more likely to be executed than white folks especially if the victim is white um, And also you know tons of studies show that the death penalty doesn't doesn't stop or curb a crime, let alone murder So um, it's about time that we have a change and I'm definitely glad that he uh, you know is taking this step.
7: Roger? Yeah, I mean, I think, this is, I think this is a big issue, and I would agree that this is the big difference. These are the type of issues where you don't see them, quote, unquote, on, the, on, on, the, uh, on your ballot. But if you don't put the right people in place, um, then they're going to happen. You know, the Trump administration, they executed 13 people within a six-month period. That's a lot. That's, that's, that's a lot of people. And so when you're talking about this type of issue, not just from the racial implications, but you're also talking about just the whole idea of capital punishment, we are still with some people would say that this is one of the most barbaric ways or means of punishment of any quote unquote civilized state or in civilized nation. So we're still in a space where, where this is happening. and so. Uh, I'm happy that a moratorium has been placed. I'm happy, as, as AG Garland uh, mentioned, that there's going to be some real evaluation. But the other question becomes, and I think, Brother Roland, you talk about this, you're from the state of Texas. Texas has always been number one when it comes to executing people. How much of this moratorium will impact states' uh, uh state laws on execution in, in Texas? They just executed a man back uh, uh just a couple of days ago for killing his family back in 2009. So, will this moratorium um spill over into having conversations about executions across the state lines?
5: Uh, that's a very good point. This only applies to the federal level, and that's what we have. All right, y'all, y'all know what time it is. <laughs>
4: No charcoal drills no are allowed.
1: I'm white. I
3: got you, Carl. Yeah, it's, um,
1: illegally filling water without a permit I'm on my property. On property. Whoa! Hey! I remember, you don't know. live
5: you here. Don't I'm uncomfortable. God have mercy. A police chief uh, has resigned because he actually this really happened. He put a KKK sign on a black police officer's jacket.
1: So y'all this is surveillance video uh this is police this is
5: in ohio police chief anthony campo um you see him he's putting a kkk sign on the jacket of a black police officer all uh, right he stepped down tuesday after sheffield lake mayor dennis bring appeared at his office to address the video mayor bing said when he went to the office campo was standing there with a smile on his face and said so am i fired well the mayor told him he was being replaced on administrative leave have ten minutes to leave the office, Campo quit. Well, guess what? That's what's gonna happen to your dumbass Faraji. if you're gonna put a KKK sign on the oh, on baby. the jacket. Yeah, am I fired? Hell yeah, your punk ass fired.
7: I was gonna. <laughs> you took the words really out of my mouth. I was like, what a dumbass. He's a police chief, knowing they got cam- cameras everywhere, and you're gonna do this. Like, what's the point? Like, did you want to get fired at this point? I don't know. I, I, I'm not understanding the rationale behind the action.
5: <laughs> look, 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 Brittany. The man should have walked in. You got to lose your job. You to lose your job. That's how the man should have walked in. Oh, he-
3: He already knew, though. He walked in and said, "So am I fired?" Like he he knew what time it was. And I love the mayor's statement regarding the situation because he was—he literally said what all of us were already thinking when we heard the story. How in the hell can somebody be that stupid? Like (laughs) it it, is really outrageous, man, and and a stupid prank—real, real real stupid.
5: It, It 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 really it really cracks me up. When you when you see these idiots, I mean, when, when you see these idiots and, and, and they and they really, really, really uh, are some damn idiots, uh, uh, Michael. I, I just sit here uh, and just like like y'all, y'all, y'all really just, you know, are that dumb? In fact, you know what, Michael, in fact, <laughs> if, if I was the police chief, it probably, if, if I was the mayor, it would have went down something like this.
11: Listen to me, you little bitch. I'm gonna ask
6: you some real simple questions, and I want some real simple answers. You
9: Understand? So let me get this right.
2: That's what. That's how right it. That's about what would
5: happen.
7: Fifteen.
0: <laughs> yeah you you know Roland. Yeah, uh that
5: that, that actually, that's, that's how i would have fired
0: you, right. the <laughs>
5: you, you know um you know you know you know
2: you, you know um, exactly, at, exactly. 11 exactly exactly
6: yeah at 11 15 i
2: yeah 11 15. So
6: kind
5: of man,
2: let me do a
7: break.
5: break. Let me I, 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 it, it's a break. it is a lot more white
0: people going to get fired man but awesome. they need to investigate cases after where he got black people shoot. convicted. When they, was, need go, cases, it, they need to go some of those cases they need to research them because he could have said some people I
2: know I agree. Yeah, I agree. alright y'all I agree. Y'all know
5: that's funny. I am sorry that's funny. hell. All right, y'all. Y'all, when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Darrell Bradford, who is the new president of an education reform group, 50K, in our Education Matters segment. Also, uh, we're going to talk to an expert on barbecue and Dick Gregory. The documentary on Dick Gregory airs on Showtime on July 4th. We will talk with the director of that documentary. Y'all, we still got a whole lot to go right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We'll be back in a moment.
9: White Supremes ain't just about hurting black folk.
8: Right. You
7: got to deal with it. It's injustice. It's wrong.
8: I do feel like in this generation, we've got to do more around being intentional and resolving conflict You process. and I have
9: always agree, Yeah. But we agree on the big piece. Yeah. Our conflict is not about destruction.
3: Conflict's going to happen.
1: Every time the life of an unarmed
0: black man is cut short by police violence, we're outraged. When it happened here, I said enough is enough, not as a state senator, but as the mother of a black son. I led Ohio's first bipartisan community police task force to stop racial profiling and address police brutality. We established standards for accountability, hiring and use of force. I'm Nina Turner, and
6: I approve this message to be a voice for change
3: before till's murder
6: we saw struggle for civil rights as something grown-ups did i
0: feel that the generations before us have offered a a lot of instruction
10: (music) organizing is really one of the only things that gives me the sanity and makes me feel purposeful
11: when Till was
6: murdered yeah that's what attracted our attention
5: Having it right now the 2021 essence festival of culture live Live virtual experience essencestudios.com essence.com take your place today saturday and sunday all right folks this sunday is the premiere of a documentary on my man dick gregory the great dick gregory of course the comedian the activist folks it is an unbelievable documentary i saw it two series ago on the last day of the tribeca film festival uh, in new york here is a
2: when they say this show features living color, you better believe it. Dick Gregory was one of the greatest political comedians to ever live. In about six more months, they're gonna be forced to hire Negro bus drivers in Mississippi, so we're growing steering wheels so they can drive from the back of the bus. This <laughs> stage presence was
0: so Excuse me. smooth. Dick Gregory changed the entire landscape of stand-up comedy. Football is a fair sport for my people. Only sport in the world a Negro can chase a white man and forty thousand people stand up and cheer. Damn, he's
8: talking to these white
10: people like that. He just spoke his truth. What's overlooked is how unafraid he was.
1: Are you out to give people a good laugh? Or are you out to make a very definite point? I happen to believe that you can't laugh social problems out of existence.
2: Dick knew how to take. A heated issue, bring humor, and move forward. It encouraged people.
7: I think people get confused and think that he was an activist who decided to be funny. No, no, no. His soul was out of a stand-up comic. He just could not do that in a world that was falling down around him.
0: Now I ran from Chicago to Washington, D.C. to dramatize that there's a
8: need to feed hungry people. He ran for Native Americans. He ran for women.
9: He gave so much of himself to a movement, to a people. He wanted to be a part of the change, and he
6: always fought for that change. My goal is to really help change the priorities in this country. No
0: man has given more, asked less, or been more needed. Ladies and gentlemen, Dick
1: Gregory...
5: Dr. Mears call, the one and only Dick Gregory joining us right now is the director Andre Gaines. Andre, how you doing?
11: Good, good to see you, how are you?
5: Uh, doing great, um, how did you get involved uh, in this particular project? Did it start with you? Did it start with Dick Gregory and his family? How did this whole thing
11: start? It, it really started with me as an idea. I mean, you know, I saw Dick Gregory on the State of the Union back in 2008 when uh, President Obama first ran. And I just was like, I've got to do something, you know, to tell this this man's story. I mean, he was on this whole panel. You know, you remember it. It's just a panel of every great black
5: Yeah, people. it was yeah, it was yeah. Tavis Miley's state. Ameri- it was state of black America uh, and yeah, was State panel. of Black America report. Yeah, State of the Black Union.
11: Yep. State of the Black Union it was on C SPAN. And, and he was on there with all of these dignitaries and politicians and just everyone who does not share the mic very well. And he managed to completely bring down the house. And I was like, wow, this, this guy is extraordinary. I mean, when I grew up in the 80s, I didn't know him as my contemporary comedian. That was that was Bill Cosby, to be honest. You know, that was uh, maybe Richard Pryor. We'd sneak away and see some of Eddie Murphy's stuff. But Dick Gregory, I knew as the guy who had the Bahamian diet, who had the shakes. So I didn't really know him as a comedian. And so when I got a chance to, actually see him do his work as a as a comedian it was it was astounding i was like wow this this has got to be a story to uh somebody to tell and i really wasn't prepared to tell that story until um, about 2015 and that's that's when i first reached out to him cold call like so many of my other relationships in hollywood have been established just by picking up the phone and luckily nobody's hung up the fa- hung up the phone in my face yet so he managed to actually fly out to L.A. and we started filming him.
5: And uh, he was, uh, his son Christian told the story uh, at Tribeca. Uh, It ain't like
11: he was easy on you. No, 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 no. He, uh, He did answer the phone and he, and we did have multiple conversations before actually meeting him in person. And then when I sat him down And interviewed him you know it was one of the most difficult interviews that I've ever done I mean I've been producing documentaries for a long time this is my directorial debut but I just know that sometimes subjects can be a bit hard he he was amongst the hardest probably if if not the hardest he just would not answer any questions he just was not interested in kind of uh, sort of following the leader he was the leader so, was,
2: but, he but,
5: but, 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 but Andre, was he, was he testing you? Did, did he want to see how tough was. you were? And, and do you, do you, do you want to see if, how serious you were?
11: I mean, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. At the time, I just thought he was was angry or you know upset. I mean, at that time, in 2015, that was actually like the first time any of this major news about Cosby had come out. It literally came out on the day we were filming Dick Gregory. So he was already a bit upset about that. And then just sort of the line of questioning as it relates to his history, you know, he's probably answered this stuff a billion times. So I was like, you know, we got to shift the focus a bit here. And the next day, that's exactly what we did. We just had him directly address the camera and it made it feel more like a larger audience and he just sort of turned on. And so I didn't realize that. I mean, I remember going and whining to my parents about it that night saying, you know, this man just just like, you know, haze uh, uh, me with his voice. And they were like, well, just, you know, that's, he's just testing you, you gotta hang in there. And that's what I did and thank God I did. Now we have a movie about him. A
5: lot of folks though, though did not, do not understand, did not understand the relationship uh, between Dick Gregory and Bill Cosby, um, mm-hmm. I, I know uh, that uh, on the day Dick, Dick uh, Gregory died, uh, Bill Cosby called that morning. And in fact, they were Bill was cracking jokes and Dick was laughing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, his family actually thought Dick was getting better. Um, but really, it was after that phone call. It was the last it was one of the last phone calls Dick Gregory had. Uh, so Cosby talked on that day he died. Uh, I remember I was in Atlanta because I was getting the Hank Aaron Award, and I was actually at the baseball game when I got the news of his Mm -hmm. passing. Uh, And so, a lot of people uh, really don't understand uh, how close the two of them were. And of course, Bill Cosby and his wife Camille were there uh, at Dick Gregory's funeral in Maryland.
11: Yeah, they were right there in the front seat. I was at that at that funeral. I think you and I had met uh, originally there when you were um, recording your show, and they were right there in the front seat and. Yes, he was one of the last people to call him. It was Bill Cosby, it was Minister Farrakhan, who called Dick Gregory, kind of eulogized him while he was still alive on his deathbed, and I remember flying into D.C. only a couple of days after Dick Gregory passed away, uh, because I had a personal relationship with him. It wasn't just, you know, like some subject. I mean, I started filming him in 2015. It sort of sat on the shelf for a couple of years. Um, right up until the time that he died. And we were starting to start the project back up a couple of months prior to his death. But we got really close over that period of time. And I got close with the family, especially. And I remember his son, Christian, picking me up from the airport, driving me around. And, you know, we just cried like babies. We listened to that uh, eulogy from Bill Cosby. We listened to it from Mr. Farrakhan. And it was powerful. And I, I think that when we get a chance, when people get a chance to see this movie, have a better understanding of how Dick Gregory's sacrifice of quitting, of, of uh, going to marches in Birmingham and um, Greenwood, Mississippi, and actually abandoning the gigs that he was supposed to be doing. Those, those club owners and managers and those types of folks literally filled those spots with Bill Cosby and filled it with Richard Pryor. And so he literally opened up the door for... Uh, Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor and subsequently uh, kind of every major black comedian after that. So that's, that's, that's really the story behind that. And they were, they were close ever since.
5: When we talk about people giving it all for the sake of the community, this documentary really details that. Uh, and it's a whole lot y'all couldn't get into y'all didn't even get into him running for president. Uh, and it was just a whole a lot of stuff uh, that you just could not cover. I mean, frankly, to be perfectly honest uh dick gregory's life was so stunning and amazing it's probably worth a docu series because of just the mm. amount of stuff that he did and was involved with um but financially i mean he really said black folk will take care of me if i keep representing black folks
11: yeah he did i mean I don't think people really understand, even the contemporary comedians that were so heavily influenced by him, like Dave Chappelle, Chris, uh, Chris Rock, uh, you know Kevin Hart, who's one of our executive producers, really, really understand what that means, like that level of sacrifice. I mean, I've talked you know, with Kevin Hart before about. It. it's like it would be like him leaving his huge career and going and exclusively, you know working for and joining the Black Lives Matter movement. Of which, you know, activists are not uh, uh, rich people. I mean, they're sort of not associated with the same level of wealth that an entertainer or you know somebody in Hollywood is. And so, for Dick Gregory to do that, I mean, that had a lot of consequences. And one of the interesting things that I said during the uh, Tribeca Q and A is that. He he's not one of these entertainers, you know, we hear these stories all the time, entertainers, musicians, especially comedians and musicians, you hear the story all the time that they squandered their money on like booze or drugs or gambling or women or whatever it is. And he he didn't fall into any of those categories. You know, I had somebody ask me like, well, why didn't you sort of talk about this or talk about that? I'm like, he, he wasn't a scandalous person. He was, he was scandal free. He wasn't uh, mistake-free. He wasn't, uh, you know, he was a human being. He had his foibles, but they they weren't the type of dramatic foibles that you expect in these types of stories. This is somebody who literally said, here, I'm going to give it away instead of paying my kids college tuition. I'm going to give it away instead of paying my mortgage. That, that's something that we can aspire to. It still had a lot of consequences, but it's something we can aspire to, really.
5: Um, I got more questions, but I want my panel opportunity to ask some questions. Brittany Lewis, your questions uh, for Andre.
3: Yeah, of course. So um, congratulations, first and foremost. I can't wait to see the documentary. Thank you. Um, but I do want to know, you know, Dick Gregory was such an important figure, not only to the black community, but to the world. Was it difficult trying to capture the entirety of his life? Like you're talking about a comedian, a, an activist, you know, h- how could you do that without making the documentaries like several hours, if not a day long?
11: Well, it was. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I managed to get it, you know, kind of just under two hours, which was at the request of Showtime. But we, we did have what you know, Roland is talking about. We did have the presidential run in there. We had a couple other things. And it just, from a narrative storytelling standpoint, there's some of these things you just unfortunately have to take out. It was very, very difficult. And, and uh, you know, any filmmaker would tell you every movie breaks your heart uh, uh, just a little bit. And the reason why is because you, you have to abandon certain things you have to cut out certain things it's like the audience has you know only so much of an attention span and in this in this uh, situation i mean i produced series as well i did another series earlier this year called the lady in the dale that was on hbo that was a four part series but the goal here was really to make one good film one that one great film that could could live on in the annals in the lexicon of film history and that was that was ultimately the goal and so at the end of the day you just got to you just got to suck it up, wipe away a couple of tears, and say, yeah, we're going to take out a few things. <clears throat> um,
7: Andre, first and foremost, I'm really excited about seeing this film. Um, I had the opportunity to work with Miss Kathy Hughes, and she often talked about Dick Gregory and their relationship when they were on air back in D.C., back in the day. So this is going to be really, really cool. And I had the opportunity to meet him um, when we did the... Um, the Jester So Else movement, hmm. uh, and and he was working with the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, so he was at a couple of some of those like uh, larger meetings, and he would. I can I, all I can say, Andre, is I understand that he tested you because he tested us, and we were just <laughs> saying hi. <laughs> yeah,
1: <that's>,
7: yeah. <laughs> we just wanted to take a picture, but I do wanted to know: um, is there anything about his life and legacy that surprised you? Um, that 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 you might believe may surprise us as the as the viewers of this documentary.
11: Yeah, I think uh, I think it frankly surprised a lot of people. I mean, you know, Kathy Hughes is a, a dear friend. Uh, she was a huge supporter of this project from the very beginning, and uh, so many others. I mean, you know, yourself too, uh, Roland and Joe Madison. I mean, you kind of go down the whole list, and folks that were with him you know, I bring these names up specifically because the folks that were with him, even that worked closely with him, colleagues, agents, managers, you know, business partners, friends, even they looked at the film and, and other iterations of the film, because we sort of showed it along the way to a couple of different folks here and there as it came together. And they were like, wow, I didn't know all of this stuff. I didn't know that these things happened. And even Dick Gregory himself, when we were making some progress of the film, you know, would look at it and say to his son, like, like, did I do that? (laughs) You know, do I remember, I don't totally remember doing this, that, or the other thing. And so there was a lot of parts and pieces like that that people were able to take away and and that they didn't realize uh, were part of his life. For me, you know, when you condense it like this and you put it into a film, it's kind of like, what are what are we doing? You know, right. like somebody like him is just the, the amount of productivity that he was able to yield in a single life. I mean, we're talking about a comedian. We're talking about a activist. We're talking about a health pioneer, a genius icon, legend. I mean, these are an extraordinary set of circumstances for one life to have. I mean, we'd be lucky if we we're able to, to live any one of those things. And so I think that that's a huge, huge takeaway from the film and hopefully, you know, people uh, experience that when they see yeah. it.
5: Michael M. Hotep.
11: Hey, Andre, uh, thanks for
0: uh, participating in this documentary, congratulations on it. Thank you. Uh, question for you. I, I had a chance of meeting uh, Dick Gregory here in Detroit some years ago and also interviewed him when I was um, guest hosting the Warren Ballantyne show one time. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dick Gregory, March with Dr. King. He was friends with Dr. King, but he also knew Malcolm X as well. And uh, toward the end of both of their lives, Dr. King and Malcolm X, we know that ideologies were converging. Uh, James H. Cone details this in uh, Martin Malcolm in America, a Dream or a Nightmare.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What did, because Dick Gregory was involved in the civil rights movement and knew both of these men, what did, how did Dick Gregory see or, what, or, or how did he um, conceive or what did he see as the ultimate goal of the modern day civil rights movement.
11: He, you know, he was this kind of connective tissue mm-hmm. in a way to a singular philosophy of human rights. And he would talk about this all the time. I mean, he was friends really with everybody, especially mm-hmm. the movement, you know, Dr. King, Malcolm X. I mean, we've got tons of pictures of him and Malcolm X that we. Just couldn't find the place, the proper place to you know to fit into the story because we sort of wow. had this this thread of him and Dr. King. Then we have this awesome photo in the film that we were able to get our hands on through the National Archives of Dr. King just cracking up, laughing at Dick Gregory while he's standing up at the podium, and it's like you know <laughs> that he's killing as a comedian because you got this picture of Dr. King, which we rarely ever see him so relaxed right. sitting there just cracking up, and so that's what he saw as the ultimate goal. It was, it was really human rights. It was, it was an, an important part of the equation when it came to uh, seeing civil rights and the modern civil rights movement of the time actually succeed. And, and had he not done that, I think that Dick Gregory would have felt there was a, a large piece of him that was missing. I mean, he, he, any time that there was something to fight for he he was there. I mean, there's this mm-hmm. you know uh, 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 fabulous story of him and the the women's rights movement, the you know National Organization of Women now, and him showing up to uh, to speak there. They asked him to speak. He's flying across the country. He was speaking at someplace else. They asked him to speak, and they get there. You know, he gets there, and they say we're running out of time. We don't think we're going to have you to you know be able to to speak. And the uh, I think it was Jane Fonda or or one of the other. Women that were there actually just brings Dick Gregory up on stage and has him go go up there and and speak with them and people literally start turning around that were leaving this rally because they heard him over the loudspeaker and it's just small examples like that. I mean, it was women, Native Americans, it was you know black folks, it was Latinos, it was you know uh, uh, gay Americans. I mean, you just name it. He was fighting for everybody, and that dread of human rights is what persists today. Wow.
5: Folks, uh, it is called The One and Only Dick Gregory. uh, Premieres on Showtime on July 4th. Uh, Andre Gaines the director. We certainly appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much. It is a fantastic documentary.
11: Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thanks so much.
5: All right, folks, education is an issue that we always talk about here on this show and the group 50 can. Uh, they have been very much involved in it reform in this country. I'm on their board of directors and also they we've actually we've been sharing an office space with for the past three years. DeRail Bradford is the new president of 50 Can. He joins us right now. Daryl, glad to have you back on the show. Uh, first and foremost, uh, what's your goal as president of 50 Can? What do you want to accomplish?
10: Uh, don't mess it up uh that I mean, thank you very much for uh, for having me and, uh, and obviously like thank you for being involved with uh, with everything that we uh, that we do and carrying this message to your audience uh, the, in a way that only you can. Um, I guess the the, the three things I'm'm I'm working on primarily you know one of them is that we need a better vision for how how we for the education system that we want in this in this country Uh, and so we built a sort of a like a a marketing platform that we call believe in better which is just about the way that you know the education system system should work like about what you should be entitled to and what you should have uh, as a family about the sort of freedoms and flexibility that you deserve as like you know somebody who's trying to help a kid become the best version of themselves Um, And it's great to talk about it, but the actual work of 50 Can, as you know, is to help pass laws in states. And so my first and maybe most important uh, project is to take that vision and turn it into actual policies that people can, you know, uh, talk to state legislators about or governors or people in their communities uh, uh, and get off the ground and hopefully, uh, you know, improve the quality of education for all kids in the country. So I guess that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that, and and you know this, right? Like we're a we're a nonprofit, and you know now we're like a quasi black led <laughs> black led nonprofit, uh, and we're working, you know, in ten states, and many of our uh, executive directors are people of color. And to do this work, you know, you can't do it for free. And so the you know the next thing is kind of like, how do we continue to make it sustainable? Like, how, how do we continue to get people to understand that like education doesn't just improve itself? Like charter schools didn't just happen like somebody had to pass a law to do that so like a group of people had to lobby to do that and you know like many other issues it's not free to do that so um that's really the the second thing and then the the third and i guess maybe like the the final one uh you know i'm i'm succeeding a person who uh was extraordinary and a, a former uh, elected official and just like uh like a, a wonderful mind on policy and strategy and i just want to figure out what you know what about 50 can is different with me as its president than uh than with her as its president and she really got us um to this place that we are now and we're all um incredibly grateful for the work that she did but it's like what what's that next phase is you know is it louder is it harder you know is it uh is it more nuanced is it more interesting i i gotta figure that out and i gotta figure it out soon
5: uh, i've made this point that the eight reform movement has been uh, all too often white lead white run and the reality is that you can't change education in america if you don't have black folks who are at the, at the, at the, at the positions of power
10: yeah i mean one of the th- I, I almost take it for um uh for granted um you know the amount of people who were like i can't believe you i can't believe you president 50 can it was like the 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 outpouring from you know other black folks who work in the movement and who had and who have jobs like mine was sort of um which was, was shocking um there's a real you know uh, underrepresentation at the decision making level and and that, and it is just different to be at the decision making level like when you're not just deciding for you but you're deciding for, for lots of folks i think the other thing too is just like you know i mean power works the way it works right like people have money they have connections and they do things and like the first group of people 25 years ago, or whatever, that were like doing ed reform were, were basically white people who went to Ivy League colleges, right, and so so that those are the people that were doing it. It is not in the political interests of anybody to have a movement that is, that is narrow in that way and that isn't diverse, right? And so um, you, you'll see now, I mean, it's like late to the party and I don't, I don't need to tell you, but finally people are focusing on the fact that like, look, we built all these systems up, we don't have enough black-led schools, right? I mean, like the independent school sector is basically the place where you see the black-led schools. It's like, how come we don't have any more? Uh, why, don't, why don't we have more community-based charter schools, right? Like, uh, why are you know? Why is it that the American teaching force? Is 80% white? Like, what's the policy agenda around that? You know, we have we have states that are working on on those kind of issues too. So, so just from a practical standpoint, even if you don't, even if you didn't care about whether or not Black people or people of color were involved at leadership level or whatever, their people care, right? Like voters care, <laughs> and uh, and and you know, uh, diverse coalitions are better. You go back to to uh, to our, our fledgling candidate from, um, uh, from Kentucky, you know, he's, he's going and he's talking to everybody. Uh, and that has been something that the uh, the education reform movement has not done well either.
5: So uh, last question I have for you in terms of uh, this next year, what specifically do you want our audience to be doing or, or when it comes to ed reform? You know, what should they be advocating for?
10: Yeah so I could think of 10 things but I'm only going to give you 3 because allegedly that's what a good speech is. Um so the the first one is be ready for the fall to be crazy. Uh, because I I think people believe that with this huge infusion of of money from from Washington DC 190 billion dollars for K12 education over the last like you know 12 or 15 months or something that everybody's sort of on a glide path back to school and that is not true. <laughs> like they're they're all they're already like uh, uh, teacher union leaders in particular who are like stoking up kind of discontent, uh, discontent and, and uh, anxiety around um, around Delta variant and everything else, right? So so just be prepared for an incredibly disrupted start to the school school year. That's the first thing. The second thing I would just say, and I mentioned that money, and I, I know the last time I had a chance to, to talk to you, um, uh, we we brought it up then. Um, like, more money than has ever been spent in a, in a single year, right, is being spent on American K-12 education right now, and nobody knows anything about it. So, like, uh, uh, there's a woman who runs the, this thing called the Edunomics Lab at Georgetown, and she's like, school districts, they're not, they're not working on, like, uh, on hiring a bunch of new tutors, right? They're not working on an extended day or like a huge summer program so the kids who've been inside for a year can go out and run around or go to museums or anything right they're getting, they're giving everybody raises right they're they're paying they're, they're taking on long term projects that are like capital projects that have nothing to do with intervening in the next year and a half uh, uh, for kids who are we're wildly behind, and in Texas, your, your home state, they released a bunch of data about this last year. I mean, we're talking about like two, three, three grades worth of learning loss in English. I mean, in language arts and math, like it is, it is serious. And so, the, so the second thing is just like be involved in that. Like, go pull yourself down a school board member, grab grab an elected official, tell them to be a, a part of it. Here's the third thing: don't don't wait. Right. So the, the best thing, if, if there can be any best thing about the last year and a half, is that we've seen lots of folks, black folks, brown folks, white folks, all kinds of folks. Right. Uh, solving problems of education themselves in a way that that we have not normally normally seen. Um, you know, part of that, I think, came out of the, the realization that, you know, whatever formers was saying was true. Right. Like we've been telling people forever that big urban school bureaucracies you know, they treat you bad unless you can move around. And folks are like, yeah, yeah, it can't be that bad. And now people are like, oh my God, it's really that bad. Like I have this amazing mortgage. I can't get my kid into school. Like what, what is going on here? Right. And that just brought lots of different people to the table. And so this whole movement now that we see, which is like community led, right. It's like, it's pods, it's like it's micro schools. It's like having an individual teacher who comes to you and a small group of people and 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 teaches your kid. Like, you know, those are the kinds of things we should be we should be embracing, right? Like, let's make the disruptions of the past year and a half that gave us good things, let's make those things permanent while we try to build a better system for everybody.
5: All right, then Rob Bradford, 50 Can. If people want more information, where do they go?
10: 50can.org, or you can you can find me online. I'm I'm at d-y-r-n-w-y-n and uh, it's a big green eye that's me it is my eye so and thank you for having me sir
5: all right derrell i appreciate it man thanks so much looking forward to working with you absolutely all right then all right y'all fourth of july is on sunday but our next topic really applies to whether or not we're talking about fourth of july we'll talking about juneteenth or, look, I'm Texas. We don't need no damn reason to barbecue. My next guest, the author of the book, Black Smoke, African-Americans and the United States of Barbecue. Go ahead and show that book, please. Show the book. Show the book. Thank you right now. Uh, that is uh, Adrian Miller, a food historian. Adrian, how you doing?
6: I'm good. How are you? All right,
5: man. Let's get right into it. I'm going to put my panel in this thing as well. And so, uh, Black Smoke, What? What? what's so different? about us barbecuing do we barbecue differently from white folks?
6: Yeah so I've been I've been asked what's the difference between white barbecue and black barbecue And the short answer is black barbecue tastes better. Um, but the reason I wrote this book is because if you look at TV shows, newspaper articles, magazines, you know black people are bit players and the barbecue story are left out entirely. And I thought that was whack. So this is a celebration of African-American barbecue culture. And just a reminder that African-Americans have been key to the barbecue story in the United States.
5: And so and, and you're absolutely right. man. When you look at these stories, when you talk about, you know, pit masters and you like, well, I know what y'all could have found some black people who know how to barbecue. Really? like yeah. Really? Yeah. So I mean, so the, what? Yeah. Go get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
6: Oh, no, I was going to say one of the, the pivotal uh, moment for me is I was watching the Food Network in 2004 and there was Paula Deen Southern Barbecue and it was an hour long special. No black people at all. And so when the. Well, credits well, really hold,
5: like, on, hold on, hold on. You did say Paula Deen.
6: I did. say <laughs> Paula Deen. Yes, I know. But I thought there might be you know, a couple of brothers and sisters. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I was sitting there going, like, first of all, how's this happen? And then secondly, I thought, well, maybe I got it twisted. Maybe it was Paula Deen's. Scandinavian barbecue sponsored by Alabama white sauce. You know, maybe I got it twisted, but wow. that was just <laughs> like the perfect example of what's going on.
5: The, um, so, so is there anything? So, so th- what have we done differently? Like, Cause we look, for, for no, no pun intended. We, we, we bring a little extra flavor to everything. Yeah. So when it comes to barbecue, what, what did we bring in particular that everybody else
6: can't really try to touch. Well, you know, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's all about seasoning. So we're the ones that have brought our adept uh, skill at seasoning. And so, you know, barbecue today, like when, it, when African-Americans barbecue, you know, we're gonna have spare ribs, pork shoulder. Uh, you know, in Texas, you don't have brisket, but usually chicken and sausage. Oh, we, oh, you say in Texas, we don't have brisket? No, no, in Texas, we do have brisket. You oh, know. I'm about to say, I'm, about, I'm about, to, about to cuss you out. My bad, I'm sorry, go ahead, my bad, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, with our, with our barbecue, we're going to have some good sauce. Cause you know, there's this conventional wisdom that's emerging that barbecue shouldn't be sauced. Uh, you know, a lot of, after- I don't know who the hell came up with that. That's dumb as hell. I know. Right. Yeah. So uh, uh, yeah. Mm-mm. So we're going to have a good sauce. Cause you know, often for a black barbecue joint, the, the sauce is really the calling card um, for what they do. Uh, but the seasonings, you know, the, the slamming sauce, also the, the next level side dishes, Uh, So yeah, we bring that extra flavor, and um, you know, a lot of African Americans are cooking with charcoal uh, and wood. Uh, So this this idea that barbecue should be low and slow, indirect cooking, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one way to do it. But a lot of people cook hot, fast, then slow uh, when they're cooking ribs or chicken or sausage, things like that. So I wanted to explore kind of what is uh, you know what is are the signature dishes of African American barbecue culture.
5: Number before I go to my panelists uh, with the barbecue questions, I gotta ask you, look, you wrote a book, you wrote a book called Black Smoke. You know, I got Negroes in Kansas City who swear they the best. I got my, my, my uncle Marvin. When we first went to Kansas City, he was talking about, yeah, this is how we do it. I was like, man, sit your ass down. Uh <laughs> and so my daddy had to show him how we do that thing. Uh and you know, they everybody talk about gates. What's the other place in Kansas City? That we're talking Bryant. about
6: Arthur Bryant. Yeah.
5: I I had both of them Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, then Memphis what kills me are Negroes from North Carolina who I said y'all ain't in no barbecue conversation so (laughs) stop so stop so if you had to say top five cities slash states in terms of king of barbecue what's your top five
6: all right so some of this is going to make you mad but I, I would say Kansas City, Memphis, and I would say East Texas. Oh,
5: oh, oh, stop, stop! Are you saying KC is one? See, we rank it. Are you going five, four,
6: three, two, one? Or are you going one, two, three, four, five? One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> so you know, growing up in Denver, man, Kansas was the strongest. In- no. So, ho oh, oh,
5: ho. Oh, so let's start. Right. So you going one, two, three, four, five? So yeah. you got KC one.
6: Why? KC one. Because I'm a spare ribs guy. I'm a spare ribs guy. And Gates is my brood. favorite commercial. Yes, Gates. Yeah. Me? So yeah, thank you, thank you for backing me up, my sister. Uh, so yeah, and That's then Memphis. bullshit. Go ahead. go here, go here. All right, and then Memphis because I also like ribs, but also they got the slamming pork shoulder sandwich. Um, They've got barbecue bologna and spaghetti. So you know, Memphis. Oh hell, you funky. yeah,
5: right there. See right now. See you can keep that damn barbecue. You can keep that bologna shit. You might as well say spam <laughs> as far as I'm
1: concerned. Oh, but man, anyway, go on ahead. That's
5: Okay, Kansas City one, you got Memphis two, who then you I got go, three?
6: It, uh, three is East Texas, because, you know, when people say Texas barbecue, they automatically go to Central Texas, and they think about, you know, the Central uh, European immigrants the way they did it, but I like the way they do it in East Texas. Got, well, also first got of all, like first,
5: I'm glad you made that distinction, but what people don't understand is there literally are four or five distinct barbecue um, standards in Texas. And you're right. What has become known as Texas barbecue is European, but you literally have you got you got that. You got you got your black folks uh, with 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 actually with with the infusion of the Creole migration from Louisiana. I mean, you got you you got how 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 Mexicans barbecue. So you got different styles of barbecue in Texas because it's a
6: big ass state. Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted to break it down. So Um, you got he's
5: Texas three. You're wrong, but go ahead. Who's four and five?
6: Four is Southside Chicago, which gets no love as a regional style. Um, So,
5: okay, Southside. But I live in Chicago six years because part of that is like. So what's the definitive place to go get Southside barbecue in Chicago?
6: So I would say Honey One. I think that's a good place. Alice's is a good place. Uh, And there's this new place I like called uh, Q's Tips and Wings because he's doing turkey. So he's doing like turkey tips, turkey legs, stuff like that. It's kind of like one of the big trends in barbecue right now, in African-American barbecue. So those well, are the first three spots. Of
5: all, first, of all, ter- first of all, turkey leg in Houston is killing everybody. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's four. You said Southside Chicago is four. Who's fifth?
6: All right, this is really going to make you mad. But I'm going to give love to North Car- East North Carolina, man. There's some brothers still doing whole hog, like Ed Mitchell and his son Ryan Mitchell. Oh, he's, getting, he's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> then you get Rodney Scott is nothing you want to do
5: hard, man. Rodney Scott. <laughs> y'all can have, hey, Brittany, uh, Brittany, uh, and Michael, y'all can go ahead and ask whatever y'all want. His ass has lost his damn mind. North Carolina. I'm done. Y'all can go ahead and talk to his ass. I'm done. I'm done.
3: Well, I was with you with Gates Barbecue. I'm biased. I lived out in Kansas City for about two months when I was Miss Black America, and the Gates family took care of me. I learned all about four generations of their barbecue history. Hey,
5: I'm North so Carolina, I'm,
3: so I'm biased. I'm
5: biased. All right, go, Brittany, go on here and ask your damn <laughs> question. I might as well. Right, let's this, <laughs> this, this book called Black Smoke. You blowing smoke up? <laughs> go, go, Brittany,
6: go ahead, go on here,
3: um, go.
6: Come on, you like this smoke, man? You know you like this smoke. Got to give love cu- to all the styles. Yeah. All right, go
3: ahead. Uh, I'm curious. Um, is there a specific, like, person that you've met or pit master um, that you've uncovered in your research that really has stuck with you?
6: Yeah. So this person is somebody I discovered historical, but I found a, a woman named Mary John who was in 1840s Arkansas. Uh, and her birth name is Marie Jean because she was born when Arkansas was in French territory. But uh, there's a newspaper article about her superintending a barbecue in 1840 in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And superintending is the word that they used back then, which is the equivalent of being a pit master. And so dig this, an enslaved woman telling dudes what to do with barbecue in the 1840s. Uh, she ends up buying her freedom because she was loaned out to do barbecues. And she stays in Arkansas. Uh, it was called the Arkansas Post. That was the name of the place where she stayed. Uh, and she ran a restaurant. And then when she dies, the white newspaper eulogizes, eulogizes her uh, like a great, like they would any do, uh, great white chef. And I just thought that was next level. I was blown away by that story. Wow.
5: All right, then. All right, uh, Michael, you know, ain't nobody talked about Detroit.
0: <laughs> well, we have Parks Barbecue here in Detroit. I'm a vegetarian and I know ain't that. Ain't nobody I, I, I <laughs> talked about Detroit. <laughs> hey, Adrian, quick question for you. When, when we study um, the history of slavery, we see that Africans are bringing Techniques to cook food, seasoned food, things like this, and it's changing the palates of white people across the country. Talk about some of the techniques, some of the seasoning techniques, etc., that Africans used when cooking barbecue and changing the way white people ate barbecue.
6: Yeah. So, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is not a lot of this is not documented, but what sure. we do see is we see a lot of articles about people complaining that the barbecue was too hot, too spicy. Uh, and that was Africans and the later African-Americans taking that vinegar and red pepper sauce, which a red pepper uh, kind of sauce, that was the earliest barbecue sauce. And that's how it was seasoned. For, so for two centuries, that's how people made barbecue. It was really only later that we started to get tomato sauces and other things. So I think not only that, um, you know, seasoning with uh, with red chilies, with red right. pepper, but also just um, Africans bringing their uh, their familiarity and expertise with smoking. Mm-hmm. That gets all thrown into the mix that that leads to this delicious thing that we so love today. All right, thanks. Mm-hmm.
5: All right, Faraji, yes. Baltimore. You noticed know Baltimore didn't come up.
7: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here's my question: Is there a, a a healthy way to barbecue? I'm vegan, so so I'm I'm looking and I hear. Oh you know, damn,
5: I got two yeah, damn hold up hold up, hold
7: up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. What
5: the hell y'all? What, what the hell y'all barbecuing mushrooms?
7: What,
1: what, what, what the hell? Right? What, you right, barbecuing
5: vegetables? Yeah. What Come the, on, on, what the hell? What the
7: hell y'all get? Oh, oh, I got some tofu on the
2: pit.
5: No, not oh, tofu.
7: I, <laughs> not, no, not tofu. Look, look, look no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just asking a brother. Asking.
5: and Mike. What the hell do y'all keep? <laughs>
7: Look, man, you could you could put some I know y'all gonna laugh at me. You can grill some carrots, you can grill a lot of vegetables. Uh uh baraji. Right
5: now, did your ass just say barbecue some carrots? Real talk. I'm gonna yeah. call your ass baraji. Because <laughs> you are not named Faraji. I don't know. All right, all right, Adrian, go ahead. Hey, and, no, no, and, no, no, but go, but real talk. A- a- like, Adrian, no. okay, hold up, okay, Adrian, have you t- have you had any good fake ass barbecue vegan? It, give it, come on, <laughs>
6: what, you got you got anything for us? Oh yeah, absolutely. So if you've ever had jackfruit, jackfruit is a fruit from Asia that oh. people are doing are making, and it's one of the biggest trends in black barbecue. Uh, I was just in Oakland. There was a place called Vegan Mob, uh, and I had some jackfruit. And if you if you go to a place where somebody knows what they're doing, they can make jackfruit look, taste, and have the texture of pork.
7: But I guess yeah. here's the thing. Okay, I don't want the texture of pork. It's cool mm-hmm. that I don't have the texture. But here's my question, though. Hold on. The- I know y'all yeah. ain't Muslim.
2: <laughs> he said the texture of pork. It ain't pork.
1: <laughs> right. I don't
2: need. Look, look. I don't need the texture of pork. Right. Come on,
6: bro. yeah. Yeah, you know, also, you know, but I, I meant to say like, you know, the, the, where you're seeing it is like chopped pork and pulled pork sandwiches. They're mimicking that by using jackfruit. But yeah, it's it's, it's fruit. So it's not pork.
1: But but no, um, I get that. I get that. Yeah. But
7: I'm I'm wondering in terms of just the health and just in terms of the, the varying diets that, that black people have from lactose free to celiac to being gluten free. How has all of the varying diets in you know, impacted how black people barbecue in this country. It's messed every damn
5: thing up. (laughs) No, you can't, you can't have,
1: no, hell no.
5: I'm gonna go ahead and say right now. Hey, you can't have get togethers no more. You gotta have all this special shit. Okay, you're gonna have beef. Can you have turkey? I need vegan. I'm gluten free. How much cholesterol? Bring your own goddamn food. Bring your own damn food. I'm tired of this. I'm tired. It used to be you had black cookouts. Everybody ate the same damn thing. Now you gotta cook five, six, seven different. Hell no. One barbecue
2: pit. No, that's it. No, no, no. Come on, this is
7: 2021. Yes, yeah. people go all the bring, same way. Bring your own oh, damn boy, boy, food. So yeah, you know.
6: I <laughs> so, so, can yeah, we let you the know.
7: speak? Can we let Mister Black Smoke
6: speak, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, no, people are adjusting, right? They're being hosted. But, you know, to, to Roland's point, right, it's becoming more like a cookout where uh, people are bringing stuff more like a potluck situation because of all the different, uh, you know, dietary restrictions and think what's going on. But I can just tell you more and more people are trying to do plant based barbecue. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't think that's a real thing. But, uh, you know, that's one of the big trends right now in uh, African-American barbecue. You're just seeing it more and more, uh, especially in the big cities. So, uh, you know, jackfruit, Mm, uh, mm -hmm. mushrooms, things like that. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I wanted. That's what I
5: wanted. All right, last question, last question, (laughs) last question, last question, last question. (laughs) I need, okay Adrian, what constitutes a real barbecue? What is required to be on the pit for a real barbecue. Now, before you answer, Adrian, let me warn you. If you get this wrong, I will not post this segment on YouTube. <laughs> I am not going to recommend your book. Now, you can ask Gerald Horn. I sell a lot of books. So, I, I, I need you to think, because you already, you already messed up that North Carolina bullshit. So, I need you to think real careful. What constitutes... What is required to be on a pit for a real, I ain't say cookout. I said a barbecue. Oh, yeah. You invite the folk to a, we having a barbecue. This is the last question.
6: Go. All right. For me, it's pork spare ribs, hot links, like a spicy hot link sausage and some chicken. That's the basics. And then in terms of side dishes, you know, some coleslaw and potato salad without raisins
5: stop, hold up, hold up, hold up hey, I, minute, hold up, hold up stop, 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 hold up, hold up man I said the pit, me? I said the pit I ain't having no damn sides,
6: okay <laughs> alright so let, yep. so uh, spare I'm, I'm, rib, I'm go in and, and sausage cause look, not everybody can pull off a, a pork shoulder and brisket That you gotta have some skill to do that hey
5: man, I ain't saying what everybody can't do <laughs> I said, what is <laughs> I said What is required? Now, at least you got three out of the four right. Because see, what I'm trying, I'm talking about these people. And some of y'all going to do this tomorrow and Sunday. Don't call that bullshit no barbecue if your ass got some hamburgers and hot dogs.
1: (laughs) No,
6: I agree with you. 100%. (laughs)
5: Let let me be clear. Hamburgers and hot dogs. That's the pre-ass barbecue snack. (laughs) the snack (laughs) okay don't come with that I'm I'm telling y'all right now your asses invite me to a barbecue and you tell me y'all got hamburger don't I got invited to a damn barbecue when I was living and probably because it was a sister she's married to a white boy and they were all healthy and shit y'all they (laughs) lived y'all they had hamburgers hot dogs and portobello mushrooms on the grill. I, I said, this is some bullshit. We would have had 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Did you eat the potato salad rolling? Huh? <laughs> Nichelle, you know I'm talking about you <coughs> and your ex-husband. Y'all invited people to talk we having a barbecue, had some bullshit hamburgers, hot dogs, and some portobello r- mushroom. Man, let me tell y'all something. Ain't, ain't like growing up, one of my, one of my, uh, I think my aunt Betty, God rest her soul, she recently passed, invited us to a damn cookout barbecue. Man, we got to their house. My daddy was like, "What's this bullshit? Hamburgers and hot dogs." Yep, yeah, my dad said, "Man, pack this shit up. We going home." That's what happened. Straight up, my dad said, "Pack this shit up. We going home." I'm curious when they said. came, when you came to our house, Adrian, we yeah. had chicken, uh-huh, links, yep, ribs, yep, brisket. Okay. That, that's the basic. That's the four. If you have the holy trinity of gumbo. Yep. No curse, and if no y'all one know one. what that means, the holy trinity of gumbo.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: four. that's the holy trinity of barbecue. Chicken, brisket, lynx, ribs. Now, you got three out of four. So I'm going to go ahead and post your book on social. <laughs>
6: all right. Thank you.
5: But don't make that mistake again, leaving off brisket. <laughs> all
9: right.
6: All right. Yo, <laughs> oh, this this is make me Carrots. I'm going to make my first brisket tomorrow on an old oil drum smoker. So y'all wish me luck.
5: Hey, 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 listen, look, look, there's a brother in Houston as a brother in Houston uh, who goes to goes to our church, man, look, dog, I'm serious. When I say how he literally makes brisket, you do not need a knife. Whoa i no, no, you don't understand. I'm talking about that brisket. Literally, if you pick that brisket up, that brisket literally just, just it, it shreds. Cecil is uh-huh. and, and, and see, Cecil, you're bullshitting, Cecil. I've been asking you to, to let me videotape it and show like Now that's my secret. Look, Cecil, <laughs> I'm gonna call your wife, Shirley, and say, get it done. Hey, I ain't lying. This brisket is off the chain. Oh, I'm man. talking about you could you do not need a knife or fork. Oh, it, that brisket is off the chain. So wow. Cecil in Houston, Church Without Walls, Cecil, I'm, I'm gonna call you when the show over. I'm, I'm telling you, you you need to go ahead and let a brother know how that done. <laughs> Y'all, the book is called Black Smoke. African Americans. And the United States of Barbecue—that's uh, the book. It also has twenty-two great recipes. Um, what you should do, uh, uh, Adrian—you uh, should uh, shoot a video. Uh, let us see how that bar- your first brisket came out, because uh, you can't be writing no damn book on barbecue and your ass can't barbecue.
6: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough, man. Fair enough. <laughs>
5: All right, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, y'all. All that right. is that is it, uh, Michael Baraji. And britney <laughs> come here bullshit ass put some Hey bro, it. <laughs> Fit, live, That's how we
1: That's how- Farage. Yeah. Farage.
5: Yeah. Yes, If you yes, came sir. to my if you came to my came to my crib and asked me we have any barbecue cats on that grill <laughs> Foraji I'm telling you right now honest to god y'all I'm trying to be I'm trying to be as I would smack the shit out of you. I would, I, I would give you a perm. I would give you a perm right there on the spot if you ask me. Do y'all got, y'all got some carrots on the pit. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You better keep that crap in baltimore you bring that (laughs) i just
7: bring my own there you go
5: you damn right you did you damn right bring bring your own tupperware with some charred ass carrots all right y'all you done (laughs) michael what michael what the hell you got on your pit? your vegan ass pit
0: Well, you know what, man? I, I, I'm teaching online classes this weekend, man, dealing with African history. So I probably won't even. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'll probably have some salad with some uh, garbanzo beans, unless the uh, unless sister wants to invite me over, man. But I'm teaching online classes Saturday and Sunday, brother.
7: I don't like it. <laughs> Check out check out, it, um,
0: com. check out African Check out African I'm teaching online classes. Brittany, can you please can you please save this damn segment?
5: Brittany, can I you please save this segment? Because I don't I don't know where these two Negroes came from. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where these two hotel Negroes came
0: from. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, bro! I've been a vegetarian sixteen years, man. You know, Br-
5: Br- Brittany gone. Brittany
3: gone. Oh, I'ma have some chicken, some ribs, oh. some brisket. <laughs> I'ma have some real barbecue, y'all.
1: All right.
3: Come by, <laughs> come
5: by, cook. Come about cooked salad. You sound like Eric, Erica Savage Wilson. Well, not, that not, cooked not salad. Right? I not nah, nah, cook I'm nah. salad. Nah, hell no, you can no you can't it. walk it back. You're gonna have barbecue salad. you ass gonna have barbecue salad. No. Right, you're gonna put the lettuce, tomato, and the <laughs> cucumber on the grill no, right brother. next to Farage's damn carrots. I'm done. That's I gotta right? go. No. Y'all, that's it. I gotta go. Y'all, uh, please. Uh if y'all if y'all wanna support Rollermart Unfiltered, not these carrot salad eating ass barbecue smoking pit people, uh, please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support our show. Uh, we, of course, in our new office space, uh, we want y'all to support what we do. Our goals get $20,000 fans to give 50 bucks each over the course of a year, $4.99 19, 19 a month, 13 cents a day. You can give by cash at dollar sign RM unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash R Martin unfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash RM unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rolling rolling at rolling martin unfiltered.com. Uh, that's it, y'all. We will not have a show on Monday. Don't forget. Essence Festival, Virtual Fest, today, tomorrow, uh, Saturday, excuse me, today, tomorrow, Sunday. We will have a recap of the final weekend on Tuesday's show. Again, we thank Coca-Cola for being a sponsor for that. Folks, we always end the show, of course, with our uh, charter members of our uh, fan club. That's it. I hope y'all enjoy uh, the weekend, spend some good time with the family, uh, cherish every single, uh, every single moment uh, because they all matter, and so I shall see uh, all y'all on Tuesday. Y'all know how we ended. Uh, this is where we have you know we support real black barbecue not carrot and smoked lettuce smoked tomatoes and smoked cucumbers uh no we're going that's that we need a segment on colon cancer, That's too, after this, n- brother. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah, and uh, some of y'all who eat y'all salad, they got pesticides in it as well. So don't be trying to sit in trying to be all like you want to be all bougie and shit. No, i bougie. You know, I, I'll do this. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, whatever. Yep, yeah. whatever. Uh-huh. Some shit in early for y'all. Uh, vegans, too. So whatever. I'm going to see y'all on Tuesday. Oh!
2: Ha <laughs>